Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your more pitching podcast from PitchList.com. My name is Nick Polk. Today is July 11th, and yes, we are going to talk about baseball. Welcome to the All-Star Break. I know this is a weird one. There's nothing really to report about yesterday or today, so I wanted to have a little bit of fun and do something that I actually don't really do during uh, the season a whole lot. I do at the end of the year, but I don't do it now, and this is more reflective of a podcast. Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about the list, and then on Thursday, I will be talking about the weekend ahead all in full, and then we'll have likely more of our normal stuff on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, etc., But uh, I want to do a reflection of my rankings at the beginning of the year and kind of just thinking about my own personal process and my understanding of these players and why I ranked them as I did and pretty much do my own self-inventory of, okay, this is where I was wrong. This is where I was thinking in a way and it just didn't work out that way because they're humans or maybe there was a flaw that I could have caught or maybe there was something really good. And what was it that good thing that I did look at that was the right thing to look at? Maybe it wasn't or all of that fun stuff. So it's it's my way of really taking uh, responsibility or I don't know. I mean, you guys know this. I'm not really in the business of being right. I'm in the business of good discussion. I say that all the time because it's impossible to be correct when talking about humans and predicting how they do, not to mention the old uh, probables of, of baseball that is even out of the human themselves, but still really good to really go through this exercise and be honest. Cause you know, I do, you know, uh, no good if I am either being dishonest to you or making rankings based on ego or whatever it is. So, Hey, we're just going to have a conversation. Sound cool. All right. So going to go through my rankings and uh, there is no OTC today. So this kind of will take the place of the OTC podcast. It's going to be a very long one. Um, as I do go through this, and I'm going to do the update of the list later today on my own. So expect that out uh, tomorrow morning uh, on Wednesday. But here we go. Uh, so Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, and Sandy Alcantara were in my top tier as my one, two, and three. Um, I do like the fact that I made Burns number two, um, and Cole was the most sturdy one. But uh, then there's Alcantara at three. And I mean, with Burns, what do we overlook with Burns? Uh, maybe not as much of a track record. Maybe, uh, you know, he, I mean, he got worse with his cutter and he got worse with his um, with his breaking stuff as well. PLV hated him. Maybe I should have listened to that. Um, but still, like, Corbin, Corbin Burns is still a top 20 pitcher, right? Like, so there's nothing really to be upset about that. But Sandy Alcantara, some people want to put more um, pushback on uh, his low strikeout rate or his, uh, his BAPIP that was dependent on the shift, maybe Miguel Rojas. I think, the, honestly, the biggest um, acceptance I will have about Sandy Alcantara is really two things. Of One, um, the Marlins defense being a lot worse, and that is a big deal. Um, not the shift. The shift, honestly, to me, isn't really much of a difference for Sandy Alcantara. It's more that it's Joey Wendell at short and not Miguel Rojas, and that really does make an impact for him. Um, I... I also have seen a lots, lots of games where Sandy Alcantara has not had the command that he used to have. And watching him a lot over the past couple years, I don't think I ever really said that 
Sandy Alcantara has a lead command. Maybe I did, but it isn't. Um, he's really just has amazing stuff and he gets, has good enough command, but it doesn't mean that he is susceptible to, uh, some of the runs that he has had. And, you know, I, I, I love the fact that he is a guy that can still go seven innings and stuff and still is that workhorse for as many innings. Some are worried about injury. Not the case. Um, strikeout rate hasn't been there as the, as the changeup got a little bit worse. You know, I think, uh, in retrospect, probably putting Sandy Alcantara down around, uh, where Luis Castillo was is probably the, the wise move at the end of the day. Um, but I mean, I remember making these rankings and thinking all these guys had these big questions. McLennan had the injury stuff and that was really why he was there, but he was on my number four, which I think is, was good and safe for the, the back thing that just showed up. But I, but yeah, in retrospect, recognizing that, yes, Sandy Alcantara just likely had his peak um, and don't really buy into the peak, but still think he's really, really good. While other guys do have more of a ceiling when it comes to strikeouts, does make sense. So that, that is a lesson that I am learning um, still. And it's, it's hard because I see Alcantara as like the safest pitcher entering this year and he's not been safe at all. So what is safe? I got to redefine that. Got to be better. Um, and you know, I do wonder how much of my personal bias towards him, and I tried to combat it as much as I could this offseason, too. Uh, but I think it was one of those things of just like, look, like so many innings, he has this skill set that is very good. And um, as long as that sticks around, which it did for a full season and a half, really, at that point, uh, he should be really good. And he wasn't. Okay. Um, Brandon Woodruff got hurt, so I can't really say much for that one. Uh, Justin Verlander was next, and I had him way down, and then I had him... I pulled him all the way up and I should have stuck with my instincts of him being older and being worse. And I think, I think one of the major, one of the major things I'm trying to be better at, uh, which is, I think the hardest thing that we do as analysts is understanding what is going to go up, what is going to go down, what is going to say the same. And I think I should have stuck with my gut initially of Verlander back in October. I, I originally had Verlander at 21. Um, on the ranks. And yeah, of course the injury messed him up and everything. He was injured like a week later after this ranking came out. This is my last set of rankings before the season started. At the same time, you know, Verlander isn't a 25, 30% strikeout guy that we're seeing this year. And I was worried about that last year with his slider and, and fastball being worse, the four-seamer uh, swing striker going down and the fact that he's getting older. And I should have really stuck with that gut. At the end of the day, I said, no, you know what? Um, Verlander could just be just as good. And there are a lot of major questions with so many others that I don't want to do that. So fine. Um, but that was one that I think like, for example, Scherzer, I'm going to be very far down on next year. And that's just kind of how that is, um, because of that. So something really to consider. Aaron Nola was next because I saw 200 strikeouts and honestly, he's still going to get that. Uh, so I'm not really too upset about the Nola one. He's also performing far worse than he, I think ever has as far as home runs allowed. Um, but I should, I think, have been a little more uh, understanding of the volatility of Nola being so rooted in command and rhythm, especially as a slinger. And I've said that for so long in my career. And for some reason, uh, I just kind of went with the flow um, on that one and probably should have had him in tier three. But then again, 200 strikeouts. Like, I can't, I can't be so upset about Aaron Nola because the whip is still good and the strikeouts are there. It's just, it's like, a, what, a four or five ERA or something right now? And maybe that gets corrected by the end. So, I, I can, you know, this is a halfway point retrospective. Not a full. Um, Spencer Strider after that. 
And Strider, I had moved up consistently through the offseason. Um, and, you know, looking at this, I probably should have had Strider at five. Like Cole Burns, McClanahan, Woodruff, Strider. If I could really like sit down and think about it again um, with the knowledge that I have now. Right. Moving down Sandy, moving down Verlander and, and Nola. But we didn't really know how believable it was with Strider. And is he going to still have the same strike rates on his fastball and slider? Is he going to get better? Is he going to be, you know, messed up as the season goes on? We actually don't really know yet. Um, so that's why I mean there. But also, I think really leaning in on the skills of Strider is something I want to do entering next year for some of these young guys. And being a little bit more aggressive, saying like, yeah, these are their skills. But then again, I don't know. When it when it's a mixture of a command and overwhelming stuff, then it's like, okay. Because um, then the floor, at least if the command isn't there, there's still something to save um, when you have such good stuff. Uh, Shoei Otani is here. I think that's fine. I mean, he was, uh, yeah, that, that seems about right. Same with Luis Castillo. I actually had moved down the Castillo, unfortunately, than my latest thing. Because I think there was some question of like health or something at that point. Uh, but man, I had him, oh, I had him at seven. Uh, all right. I mean, that, that, that's fine. I was aggressive on Castillo, and I think that's played out the way that we saw, but that was good. Um, Jacob deGrom, uh, I think I was lower on him than others because of the injury stuff. Yes. I mean, I hate to ever celebrate the injury stuff. I don't want to... I'm saying yes, just like, cool, you understood things decently well, but I'm never excited. I wanted to be wrong on this. I wanted to be, be number one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how that played out. Uh, Zach Wheeler was down here because of the injury concerns. Because again, once he had, once again, he had the shoulder thing. But you know, it's, it's something that I really think we have to uh, understand is that guys are going to have injury things with shoulders when they warm up in the spring often. And I mean, we've seen with Wheeler, we've seen the Gallon; they're both completely fine. Um, Gallon also was moved down, and we'll talk about him in a moment. Uh, we have Scherzer down here, and I think that's appropriate. Uh, I was, I think, a little bit lower on Scherzer than others. Um, maybe not. Um, but, I, uh, but yeah, I mean, same kind of idea with injury stuff, but he's been great. So I don't really have any problem with that. I understand the grouping of DeGrom, Wheeler, and Scherzer. Uh, Max Reed, he got hurt with the, the forum stuff. I can't really say anything to that. Um, Christian Javier, I separated from Castillo and in retrospect, honestly, I'm cool with this ranking. I mean, sure. Kevin Gosman. Um, now that we've, you know, I really had this big debate of Gosman versus Manoa and I eventually separated them, which I'm happy I did with Gosman ahead, um, by the end. But, I, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I would want to have Gosman closer to the top 10 where Luis Castillo is. And I understand because also he is a workhorse in it and I'm thinking about it. And I think I got too cute with expecting of the four seamer stuff and hard contact and all. Um, and being like the splitter still just been so amazing, uh, and understanding like his high BABIP, but you know, even with all the things that like are bad, the BABIP is still going to be better than what it was. Anyway, Christian Javier just completely fell apart. Uh, and I think he should recover by the second half. It is interesting relative to Strider, but I think I got too cute about, um, not cute. I, I keep saying that like, no, it's not bad analysis. It's just, uh, the counter that I didn't really hear or listen to was, yeah, Strider's and, and Javier's had pretty much the same metrics across the board of like swing strike rates and strike rates and hard contact rates and usage and all that kind of stuff and induced vertical break. But the thing is, there are different velocities. And that means that Javier needs to do more to survive. Uh, he needs to be actually more consistent with it rather than Strider's. So that was a big difference that I think I didn't give enough credence to. And to put him over someone like Osman, 
um, is the is the regret that I have looking at this. Uh, continuing on, I mean, Julio Urias got hurt, so I can't really say anything there. Dylan Cease, I was, I think, relatively down on. Yeah. Um, all right, there you go. Uh, yeah, it's the same volatility. Uh, you Darvish, I was, yeah, it was the, right, the appropriate spot. I mean, I can't really see myself like saying, oh, and I should have realized X, Y, and Z. He is the volatile crew. I mean, this entire thing was the volatile crew of Dylan Cease, Darvish, Bieber. Uh, Musgrove was hurt, and I had him down here. I knew that. So he would have been up where Urias and Gosman and, and Javier would be, which is actually, like, yeah, that's that's correct. Um, that's fine. Um, with Bieber, I, yeah, I think I was relatively normal. Um, I regret having Zach Gallon as low as I did, really, in the same tier here. And I, obviously so. Um, I think I underrated his skill set a bit, which is wild because I'm a giant Gallon Gallon all. But I think I, I, I think he does a very interesting approach that works for him and doesn't work for so many others. And because it doesn't work for so many others, I don't really like to love it or lean into it. But I think at this point, he's really proven that his kind of called strike rate stuff with really good curveballs and changeups down really just does work. And that's how it is. And also keep in mind, I did have him lower because there was, I think, the shoulder stuff where he was lower velocity or something in spring. And I think I overreacted to that a little bit. That happens. There are other guys that lower velocity is a real deal. Um, so it's really hard to kind of gauge like which ones are real and which ones aren't. And I think for the most part, we can kind of say if you're inside the top like 30 or 40, generally lower velocity is okay. When you're not, it's too much of a, you know, it's too much of a risk. Um, Alec Manoa is down here too. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much where everyone had Alec Manoa, right? Like I don't... I mean, I'm glad I had him underneath everyone else by the end of it. Uh, so so that's fine. I mean, with Shane Bieber, I, I think I was normal with him. And, and looking back at it, like, yeah, I didn't think the slider would just disappear as it did. So not much I really could have done there. Um, I still kind of saw a 200 strikeout guy there, and we didn't. Uh, moving on, I had uh, a tier of Robbie Ray, Carlos Rodon, George Kirby, Framber Valdez, Nestor Cortez, and Lance Lynn. Um... I could have been more aggressive on Framber Valdez. I think him adding a cutter was a big deal, like a like a huge deal. And I, uh, yeah, that's uh, you know, that that's that's something that I didn't really expect for him to help out with that 1.17 whip. Uh, I look at tier four, and I think yeah, I should probably have had Framber Valdez around there instead. But you know. I uh, I didn't really love the fact that the sinker's not that great of a pitch, and the curveball is really the big thing. But he's been doing fantastically well. Um, Robbie Ray just got hurt, and that stinks. <laughs> that that just that drives me nuts. Um, Carlos Rodon was here, and we didn't at the time know it was going to be like three months. We thought it'd be like two weeks, and we didn't really know what to do with it. So I just kind of stuff stuck him there. Uh, George Kirby, um, being the highest between him and Logan Gilbert, and I'll talk about Logan Gilbert in a couple of tiers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the right assessment of him because I think everyone in tier four was like, yeah, no, these are the strikeout guys and all the things seemed right. And George Kirby really hasn't done the thing that we were hoping he would do, which is really add a, a strong secondary pitch as a whiff pitch. Now, the sliders really showed up recently, but uh, yeah, he hasn't done that. So the assessment's right there. Nestor Cortez, I was likely too high on. I think, uh, I think what I need to do a little bit better of is... Really grasping um, the guys with track records. When it comes to track records, embrace the ones that are younger and have more of kind of a pedigree to them. And I don't mean like just because they were a good minor leaguer or so. I'd be like, no, 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 no. They're 
they have better innate teal, uh, sorry, uh, skills on paper, right? They like, you know, they throw harder or they like, you know, clearly have like a very good fastball or something, just not putting it together. While Nestor Cortez, um, I should have realized is really squeezing the most out of it. And it's weird. And even though his fastball graded super, super well in 2022, uh, I think I should have put more weight on saying, look, it did well in 2020-22. It's possible it does it again in 2023. But I think this ranking that I had in the preseason was a little bit more aggressive on the side of, yes, he will do that again. So I need to be I need to be more cognizant of that and not really group that into the other guys that I think are like him, right? Um, then you have Lance Lynn at 29. Obviously, that's been as weird as anything. I, uh, I mean, with Lance Lynn, um, two pitch guy, and the numbers on those two pitches are really good. He also struggled for a bit and then had a really good second half. And I think I leaned too much into thinking that there's no way that the struggles in the beginning would persist. And I think that was too aggressive on that. I did lower him in that last one. But I probably should have said, like, look, there's a good chance that Lance Lynn is volatile because we've seen him be volatile. And I should have. And that's something I'm going to really be thinking about for this offseason is, yeah, I'm probably going to be lower on some of the super amazing, like, oh, my gosh, this guy had this run and that's amazing now. When it's not something legitimately new, like Lance Lynn last year didn't have a brand new fastball you know, or massive pitch usage or change something new. It was just like, no, he just figured out his stuff and then did better. And I feel like that's less tangible. That's something I want to be thinking about a lot. Tier six arrives and it's a lot of like injury question mark stuff. So Jesus is already at 30. I am still sticking strong at. I love that. I know I was ridiculed for it. <laughs> uh, there's a massive joke about it. Um, but I, but nope, I, I feel good about that one. Clint Kershaw, 31. Absolutely. And yeah, Nestor Cortez, Lance Lynn, I wish were underneath these guys. But really, the Robbie Ray and Carlos Rodon ones, I don't really have too much regrets for. Maybe I should just say, you know what, this guy's injured and like not actually try and chase that and just be like, it's fine. If someone else can get Carlos Rodon, that's great. And I'm happy it works out for them. But it doesn't, you need to get that. And if you get something else that is very sturdy and helpful, then like that is, you got more profit from that, you know? I mean, Robbie Ray, I can't really, you know, whatever. Um, Blake Snell is here at 32, and by the end of the year, that might actually be the correct thing, considering how good he has been for the past month. I don't know how I should feel about this one. I mean, this is this is kind of that thing I'm talking about with the uh, with the the half of the year stuff, right? Uh, Hunter Green to 33. I think I'm more aggressive than I was than a lot of other people, um, and we're going to see some guys in like tier seven and tier eight that are like, oh man, I should have been more high on those guys, whatever. But I, uh, but Hunter Green is was kind of like Strider. Uh, and that's, that's the thing about it is like, that's not, that isn't Christian Javier. That's Hunter Green. And he, he got hurt, but it's also Cincinnati and Strider's a better pitcher. So I don't know. I don't know how we're going to be ranking Hunter Green next year. Uh, and I got to give more thought about the Hunter Green situation. We really didn't even get too much of a sample of him this year really, anyway. And Logan Webb is here and Logan Webb, yeah, you're, you're starting McStarterson. Um, kind of in the middle of like, other guys that be wanted to go and really chase and be like, yeah, you're going to be productive. Like, yep, 34 is actually a really good Logan Webb spot. I, I think I should have maybe, I don't know, grouped them up a little bit better to say like Logan Webb is a sturdy guy and he should be kind of with Logan Gilbert. Why they're in different tiers, I don't quite understand. But yeah, um, I'm on to tier seven now. We're going to take a break here. Just one break, I think, for this one. And uh, but yeah, this is fun. Please give me your, your comments on Twitter about all this stuff. Um, it's really good and healthy, I think, for us to really reflect on this. 
and um, assess kind of like, yeah, I'm going to give myself some pats on the back, I guess, <laughs> you know, um, but it's really more important for me to be like, yep, yeah, okay, this is something I'm checking in on or not. And uh, yeah, uh, but anyway, we're going to take a quick break. Are you ready to step up to the plate and show off your fantasy baseball skills? Check out Underdog's Fantasy 7th Inning Stretch Tournament from now through July 14th, where you can build your dream team and compete against your friends for the $150,000 in total prizes. So what are you waiting for? Visit the link in the episode description and use promo code PITCHERLESS to receive 100% deposit match up to $100. Join us in the 7th Inning Stretch Tournament and experience the thrill of fantasy baseball like never before on Underdog. Good luck and may the best team win. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 and older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncp.com gambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. So Tier 7 arrives, and here's Chris Sale, and we just don't really know with Chris Sale. And um, in retrospect, I mean, this is, a, this is a tier of like, what are we going to see? Jeffrey Springs was amazing out of the gate. Um... And I, you know, it was one of those times of like, okay, this was a shorter sample and also not the overwhelming, right? Like slow fastball. And it was just based on change up and slider command, really. And also still struggling against lefties. Um, so I don't really regret the 39 rank of Jeffrey Springs. I certainly did early on. Um, and I think it was more that I regretted some other guys ahead, but it was, but by like a skill assessment, me, it'd be hypocritical of me for saying, like, no, I should have been more in on that while I'm saying, like, no, the mistakes I made on other guys were not that, right? Or, like, the same thing. So, I'm okay with that one. I mean, Logan Gilbert's right after, um, and with Joe Ryan and Lucas Giolito. So, um, with Chris Dale, just to say, like, that was more of me, like, saying, okay, you know what? I'll take a chance at this point. And honestly, it was working out until he got hurt again. But then that was part of the ranking. I should recognize that it's not just the shoulder stuff. It's a history of this stuff. And uh, sometimes I do take too many chances, I think, with injured players um, that have any sort of track record of it. So something to think about there. Logan Gilbert at 36. Yeah, I mean, I should put him with Logan Webb, maybe a little bit higher. But, um, you know, I had him lower than than Kirby in the beginning in, in April or so when he had the splitter. I was like, oh, man, I didn't really lean on the splitter. But honestly, that was right, because the splitter's been gone for like six weeks now. And, uh, you know, all this hoopla about a new pitch and stuff generally just doesn't pan out. A new pitch in the spring in spring training is like the worst hype train in my view. Unless it's uh, really the only thing in spring training that matters to me is uh, is velocity, like a massive amount of velocity, like one to two ticks higher. Really two ticks is like, OK, here we go. And then if you if I see really like massive usage in a way that I think is good for them. There you go. Those are the two things that matter to me in, in spring training, of course, in like actually positional battles and stuff. Joe Ryan at 37 um, is a very interesting one because we liked Joe Ryan. And, you know, actually, I remember going on uh, the Triple Play Fantasy Podcast, David Mendelson and crew. I love David Mendelson. He's the best. He was, of course, hosting in uh, in Alex Fast's place last year for the OTC. Amazing guy. Um, I remember going on there and talking about my philosophy of, the guys who can potentially go 200 innings and be productive for you, those are the ones that you actually really want to go after. And I'm not talking about like a 3-7 ERA. I'm talking about ones that could actually be like a 2-8-3 ERA with a 25% strikeout rate. 
Those are the pitchers that I generally should be more aggressive on in my drafts. So Logan Gilbert, Joe Ryan, Lucas Giolito, George Kirby, uh, Pablo Lopez even, even though he didn't have the track record of, of, of health of the shoulder, you know he's going out there every single day. Those are pitchers that I should have been more aggressive on. And I regret in retrospect because I went on their podcast and I said that that's how I found Zach Wheeler and I found Sandy Alcantara. And that's why I was more aggressive on them in 2021 specifically because it was coming off of 2020 when a lot of guys are going to get babied. And I knew that they weren't and they had that, that, that possibility and I was more aggressive on them. So, I mean, that's why I was in on Robbie Ray in this one and probably why I was in on Lance Lynn. But I, you know, it's something moving forward next year. I'm going to be slightly boring because of that. Um, so like the Logan Webb, Logan Gilbert, Joe Ryan, Lucas Giolito, Pablo Lopez, George Kirby train should have been a lot more aggressive on my side. And that's something I'm looking at for, for next year and moving forward. Um, even you Darvish in that way, I would have been more aggressive on probably Shane Bieber, I guess, but Bieber was weird and I probably just didn't want to do that. But continuing on, I mean, really specifically about Joe Ryan, like, yeah, the fastball is just even better than what it was last year. And we didn't really expect that because it was already a very good pitch. I mean, he's swing harder all of a sudden. <laughs> and uh, and the slider and splitter are working. I mean, there are still now cracks in it because those pitches aren't really developing as much as we want them to, but still good. While Lucas Giolito honestly isn't being his best self, but he's just very good. You know, so I mean, actually a 38 is like kind of appropriate <laughs> for Lucas Giolito. We talked about Jeffrey Springs. I'm um, Reed Detmers is here. And that may ultimately be um, worthwhile. But I, I think I was too aggressive on... His four-seamer, even with the increased velocity, it really, it just didn't work right. And he actually had to change his slider again and also really be his uh, best self with the curveball. So I think I was too aggressive at 40 here. I mean, you guys know I get so amped when I see these young pitchers pretty much having the tool set and be like, oh my God, this, this could be it. But I think I should have been like, no, Pablo Lopez is very, very good and throwing harder right now. And I know the shoulder thing is a problem, but like, He's in a better situation in Minnesota. Went to driveline. Like, this should be better. I mean, sure, I didn't know that the sweeper was real. Um, he actually doesn't have his best change of even right now. But he, I mean, Pablo Lopez is, Lopez is the best stuff. And I will say it was like a 4-5-4 ERA uh, entering June or so. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I should be more aggressive on Pablo Lopez. And I, I absolutely look at this and I, I regret that. Still, I mean, like, I would probably move down Chris Sale. I would move down, I think, uh, Hunter Green. Maybe Blake Snell, but I mean, that could be good. But yeah, that was, and like push Pablo Lopez closer to like 35. That's all I'm saying. Charlie Morton is actually kind of in the right spot at 42. Um, same with Nick Lodolo as both kind of volatile guys. And that's kind of why they're both here. I mean, the the injury risk also with Charlie Morton in the preseason was there. Um, but both of them, I recognize like, yeah, you can be really good, but you will go through all these ups and downs. And um, that's why they are down here. And that makes sense. And I, I don't regret that one. Um, Freddie Peralta is a 44. And I remember thinking early on, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I am uh, ignoring this. But like, it's kind of like Chris Sale. And I should have had him and Chris Sale kind of combined. Because I, uh, um, because yeah, it, it, it's, they're both injury prone guys. And I mean, Peralta hasn't been for what it's worth. Like his shoulder's totally fine. He's throwing harder, two ticks harder now. So like that is totally... Completely different than what we expected. Um, but he still hasn't quite locked in. I don't know. A 44 has actually been kind of right. But And keep in mind, by the way, like the list that you're going to see uh, tomorrow morning, that is a different list. 
because uh, it has a lot of injured guys that are removed. I think there's like 20 guys or 25 guys from the top 100 that are not, uh, that are just not on the list, like 25%. So that's going to move up everybody, of course, you know. Um, and of course, and then you have also like young guys who just showed up out of nowhere. Uh, so, say so Peralta, 44th, that's fine. Um, Drew Rasmussen, uh, I mean, that was looking great. <laughs> uh, maybe I was a little low relatively, uh, you know, versus say like Reed Detmers or something like that. Um, but I mean, get, again, there are so many guys. It's so hard to do this. So Drew Rasmussen here is fine. Dustin May, I think I was lower on than others. I don't know. Um, Unfortunately, he got hurt, but I still kind of understand. I'm like, yeah, this is not something that is, uh, you know, 100% here. And I kind of feel like right now at the mid 40s is at the point of just, yeah, what are we getting? Um, so, so this gets really interesting. It's going to be harder for me to really rank it. And I think it's more about, uh, yeah, I'm just going to kind of breeze through the second half because I think the top half is more important to really assess. You know, those are really, I think, the make or break picks. And a lot of people want to focus on the, the second half a ton because like, oh no, you can find your sleeper pitcher or no. And I push back on that because my whole strategy is getting four starters you don't drop. And if those, if, if, if you get that foundation of starters at the top, then you can figure out whatever you want in the bottom end. That's easy. That's easy to do in season. I could be, if you tell me I can choose at the end of the season, my four starters in retrospect, be like, yeah, those are your top four. And I don't even need to draft anyone else. I'll be fine right? That, that's how I feel about it. There, And you can just look at the list on, on Wednesday and be like, oh yeah, right. Like look at all of these pitchers that would have been able to be picked up that Nick probably would have done or at least streamed and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, right. That's how you do it. But you need those, that core in, in the top 50 really that you feel so good about. I mean, eventually you get four and 25% of the time, one of them will get hurt, right? So you really have three. Um, but who are those three? And I, uh, you know, this year, it was a lot of Luis Castillo. Um, I think it was Castillo, Musgrove, uh, Gosman, Darvish is what I got too. Um, and then I did get Robbie Ray, which is so annoying. I got Woodruff in one, which is so annoying. But I mean, that's just how it is, right? Uh, I don't think I got Alec Manoa anywhere. Uh, no Shane Bieber, no Dylan Cease, no Urias, um, no Javier, believe it or not. Uh, but anyway, uh, that, that's kind of my mentality with it. And I think it's really, really important that, okay. So looking at the, like still in tier eight here, so you have Peralta, Rasmussen, Dustin May, Luis Severino's at 47. And that was pretty much a scenario of like, where he's hurt. We don't really know. Um, and I don't really regret that because that's right. This is right at the point of, yeah, we don't know what the heck we're going to get from these guys. And I moved down Chris Bassett all the way to 48, which I, which I saw the massive velocity drop. And at first I was like, oh, I really regret this because he was so good after that first outing, but nope, he's... He's volatile, and we don't really know what we're getting from him. Uh, could I sink at 49? I guess that's right. He had such a good early schedule, but then he was such a headache. And I'm, I think I've underrated. Um, you're going to see him jump up a good amount on the list on Wednesday um, because I've underrated his strikeout total. And that's something I can forget about at times is I just kind of be like, oh, God, like, what is this whip? What is this ERA? And I think we honestly focus too much on ERA, myself included. But if you get a lot of strikeouts, that's a huge deal. You know, like, if, sure, if you have a 300 runs in five innings instead of two, fine, that's one and run difference you got to make up, but, like, you just got nine strikeouts instead of four or five. That's a big deal. So, uh, you know, could I sing at 49? Makes sense. And that, that's fine with me. Here comes tier nine. And this is a lot of your, like, whatever. Uh, so, like, Jordan Montgomery, Luis Garcia, Andrew Heaney, Brady Singer, 
James and Tyone. I think Heaney and Singer, um, I, I think I have those guys here because it's more of, hey, we'll find out early if they're really like worth it or I think they had decent opening schedules or something and then you can probably move on and that's okay. But if they actually click, then it's like this massive high upside thing. So fine. Uh, Jordan Montgomery just kind of being a Tobian kind of has been. And that's fine. Uh, Luis Garcia was that too, which all, this all makes sense to me. Uh, Jameson Tyone is way too aggressive on. And I kind of saw someone that was like 180 innings plus. I mean, he did get hurt. But I think uh, I was too too aggressive on his actual stuff. Um, and that's been the biggest issue for Tyon is it's just not not that great anymore. Uh, Nathan Evaldi, I should have been more aggressive on for the possibility that his velocity was back. I should have had him probably at the top of this tier. Um, just because, yeah, if his velocity was back, then like, great. <laughs> you know, that that's like the only thing. And if he's not, then he can make a quick decision. And I think that's a bigger, better chance than it was in James and Tyone coming through or Heaney or Singer not being a hipster or something like that. Alex Cobb's fine. Uh, Hunter Brown, I didn't know would be in the rotation or not. And I also regret not pushing him further up. Um, yeah, it really, I go back to it. Like Andrew Heaney, I mean, Andrew Heaney, we really didn't know what he would be because it was coming back from injury and going with Rangers and like, what is this? Um, but, and like Brady Singer was getting a lot of hype for, for this or that, but I really should have leaned in more and be like, yeah, he's a cherry bomb. He still is. And all that kind of stuff. Um, it's easy for me to say in retrospect, like, oh, you're the cherry bombs. What am I doing? But like, I get why, um, Hunter Brown to me felt more of a, like, I I think I need to give more of an emphasis on who do we, do I really believe can get settled in and be consistent? And Heaney and Singer, I shouldn't have. Uh, Hunter Brown, even though he's been really, really annoying for you, I actually think knowing what I know about him this season, just like knowing his development and where he was, yeah, probably higher. Even though like he hasn't actually been that good lately. I get it. A lot of you are upset about him. Uh, Sonny Gray, uh, maybe a little bit more aggressive than I was, but I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, I, let's see. Tyler Glasnow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was like a half, you know, we didn't know uh, when he would be back. And he was back much sooner than we thought. Um, but I put him at 59 and that sounds about right. Cause kind of like the middle ground. Grayson Rodriguez is around here. Kenta Maeda, Sean Manaya, Kenta Maeda at 60. He's like, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, keep in mind, he got all the, he got really bad luck initially and then hurt again. And now he looks pretty good. And just think of it like it was supposed to be, you know, my assessment of Maeda is kind of what it is now. So I, I don't regret this. Sean Manaya, um, throwing harder. He was throwing like 95 and I'm not going to overlook that. So I don't really think like 61, like, oh, well, yeah, he just had terrible command, and it's still not good enough with his slider and his changeup, and that's that. So, all right. And the Giants messed around with him, too. Uh, don't really regret that one. Um, in Tier 10, Patrick Sandoval. Yeah, I, I put a cherry bomb at 63, and I knew he was a cherry bomb. I knew he was volatile. Like, why do I want this? I really, really, really have to emphasize that I just don't want someone that I don't think I'm going to be able to trust. It's it's a very, very important thing. Um, yeah. And there's always a, there's always, there's always a, if I can say a sentence, there's always a possibility that those that are cherry bombs can smooth out. You know, they can actually become consistent and just be more of their sweet self. We rarely see that. And I should not have believed that Patrick Sandoval with his terrible fastballs would do that. It's, even at 63, I think like that's not it. Like John Gray, I think that's a better scenario. Now, John Gray wasn't that good until all of a sudden his four seamer and slider were amazing. Actually, like John Gray was dropped all the time in April and I think May too until it was like maybe late May where he started to be really good with that. So I don't really regret that one. Um, Kyle Wright, I was very down on injury. So you can't really say anything about that one. 
Um, Jack Flaherty, I mean, at the time it was a 65 because of, I have an injury risk tag on him because of the shoulder stuff. So fine. Jack Flaherty at 66, I think is kind of right. Um, maybe a little bit more aggressive because if he is healthy, then he's really good. And I think I should give more credence to just if he's healthy, as opposed to the feeling of actually having a money roster. You don't want a hipster. You want, that is, you know, someone who's just hipsters, headache inducing pitcher stuffing the entire roster, right? It's someone who's a cherry bomb. You want someone actually that could fly out and be like, okay, cool. This is what he is. And that's good. Um, so I think I should be a little bit more aggressive on that with Flaherty. Uh, looking at tier 11. So I have Jared Schuster here. And I remember getting a lot of flack for this because I was just too aggressive on Jared Schuster. I'm like, I don't know. He's at 67. And that that is one of those good ones where like you take a chance on that and then it doesn't pan. I'm like, okay, I don't, it's like at 67. This is not your rocks four through five, uh, you know, four through five starting pitchers. That is to me the most important part. It's not really hitting on the one out here. Like, oh, I was the guy who mentioned that you should get this one. You know, like that's, I think there's a lot more chance that goes into that, honestly, in the back half in the preseason. Uh, that's just me because anyone can really just do that. And there's a reason why they're not inside the top 50 already. And anyone can necessarily have something new that makes them top 50, even though I'm saying like, no, they should because of X, Y, and Z. You never know. So uh, Jared Schuster didn't pan out. Gary Willick was hurt and I had him here. That makes sense. Hayden Wisniewski. Hey, the sweeper's that good. I get that. Matthew Boyd coming back. Then he got hurt again and all that kind of stuff. And it was terrible. Yep. Joe Rogers. Sure. Edward Cabrera. Sure. Michael Kopech. Sure. I mean, all this makes sense to me. Uh, tier 12 is Jose Okiti. Yep. Mats, Carrasco, Peterson. I get it. Peterson had a different slider. Um, but all this is like makes sense. It's just kind of like, all right, you need some innings. Here's some innings. Now, Zach Eflin at 78. Um... I didn't really buy Zach Eflin, and I should have more. And I think what I didn't really take into account is the actual possibility, like the clear possibility of Eflin doing more with his curveball that I just kind of shooed away and I shouldn't have. That said, I wouldn't have pushed him into like 53 or so. I probably would have put him like right next to Kenta Maeda around like 60. It's actually a joke between me and Gray Albright about me telling him to pick Kenta Maeda over Zach Eflin, but... um. Eflin also added a cutter this year that I did not see coming, and that's been such a huge pitch for him. So those two things combined is why Eflin is really much better this year. A Stroman I should have been more aggressive on too, uh, just for the fact that he is more dependable, I think, than the others. I pretty much always said, no, he's harmful with a whip and everything of whatever. But Stroman is Stroman, and he should be in, at least in that like back end of that tier nine um, with some of the stable things. Now I did like, or like tier 10, he should be above all of those. I'm like, no, you don't draft Toby's. He's a Toby. And thus I don't want to draft him. No, I do understand too, that sometimes you just want someone who is, should be not bad at your ratios, especially out of the gate and actually giving you things while you figure out something else. You still need, like, you can't have an entire pitching staff of four guys that you're all going to drop and you don't know if you're going to get like five innings out of. Like, you have to have someone that actually produces for you. And Stroman, I don't think I rated that one high enough. Now, keep in mind, I'm not just saying, oh, just any Toby at the end of it. No, Stroman, I believe in more. I should have believed in more entering this season. Um, Tyler Anderson, Tony Gonson, Tristan McKenzie. So uh, Tristan McKenzie was, I believe, hurt. Uh, maybe not. I had him really low. I'm trying to remember where we were on him in the preseason. Uh, I don't have an injury tag for him. I don't know. I, I was, oh yeah, yeah, I dropped him 33. I meant to have an injury tag on him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He was originally at like 49, which I think is right because Tristan McKenzie, when healthy, is volatile still. And with everything that I'm talking about with like, uh, what is it that you need to fix? What do you need to be to be the best self? 
his is very much command of of sliders and, and curveballs and fastballs, and like he just does not have that. He can't do the Blake Snell blueprint. He just can't, and that worries me um, for long term consistency. So I understood like having him around fifty, and then he got hurt. So fine, he was moved down to eighty two. Tony Gonsolin had a small injury thing too, so he was moved from that like sixties tier down to eighty one. That makes sense to me. He didn't have. I don't. I didn't really buy that the splitter was going to be as good again. So that was kind of the mentality of like. What I'm trying to say is, hey, he had a certain skill that probably won't stick again. I'd be able to assess that. Same with Tyler Anderson at 80. That was the correct thing of like, yeah, the changeup isn't as good. The changeup had a peak season and the Dodgers were so good defensively. Um, and I think that really, really just aided him so much. And then we have the final two tiers here. These are like eight. Uh, tier 13 is your just like, maybe this works. Um, Graham Ashcraft, uh, Spencer Turnbull, Yusei Kikuchi, Edward Water Rodriguez. Um, keep in mind with Eduardo Rodriguez entering the year, like we were just so like, what is this? I should have been more aggressive. I actually called him one of my sleepers, um, in, in the, uh, the sleeper pitcher uh, article because he is someone who had like, instead of like Steven Matz or yeah, maybe Matz were like hoping that this is the reset for the Cardinals, maybe, but even like Carrasco, I have never really liked that much or Jose or Um, even just looking at like, Tier 11 with Matthew Boyd and Trevor Rogers and stuff. I should have put Eduardo Rodriguez there because, yeah, there was something there. And hitting the reset button of him being like the Tigers and everything. I think I should have been more aggressive on it. That said, it was very command focused. And uh, he did have a very good run at the beginning with command. That is not necessarily something that you should ever really anticipate from a pitcher, right? And I remember even as it was happening, I was like, I don't think this is going to stick. So, uh, so yeah, I should be maybe a little bit more aggressive, but uh, it's, you know, I'm not really regretting that one too much. You see Kikuchi down here? Absolutely right. I didn't really know what we'd get. He's the number five. Maybe there's something special. Uh, Spencer Turnbull got hurt, so whatever. Um, and then uh, Graham Ashcraft, I was like, I don't buy into the whole velocity thing. And you guys know about the ridiculous trade that I should have made. And it only just didn't go through because I didn't set my lineup like an idiot. And I hate myself for it. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, Ashcraft just doesn't have cutter command. And it's like, that's, that's everything. Now, here are some interesting ones. Ross Stripling was going to going to the Giants. A lot of people were in on that one. And can we agree that the San Francisco Giants are not this pitching haven anymore? Um, I think that Ross Stripling had amazing change up in 2022 and it wasn't as good anymore. And uh, yeah, it just didn't go well. So I don't even know what they're doing with him. I know he got hurt a little bit too, but yeah, this seems right. Justin Steele at 88. Oh man, I missed that one. What did I miss here? So I think I uh, I remember this distinctly. Um, I think there was some bias. Uh, I had an instinct, and it was verified by someone I really much uh, agree with in the community, and I respect a ton. And I think that really just kind of steered it for for the offseason with me. And um, what I would like to have looked at more deeply is understanding that Justin Steele's fastball is really well spotted and is not should not be considered a four-seamer, it should be considered a cutter. And that command stuck. And what's so interesting is the slider got worse and he still just spotted around incredibly well and he's such a good hard contact mitigator. And I should have recognized, I think, that Justin Steele, uh, his whip was terrible, but there is still a another level to hit um, and, uh, at 88, I think I wasn't giving him enough credit for that. I just kind of considered him as like a cherry bomb ball tool that's going to destroy your team. And I should, should have been more aggressive on him. Uh, Domingo Herman, um, yeah, pretty much at 89. That sounds about right. Uh, we didn't also didn't even know he was going to get the, the starting spot. 
so that's fine. Alex Wood, yeah, sure, what the heck. Kyle Brash, I do not regret that one at 91. Um, Noah Syndergaard, 92, that sounds right. Tyler Malley, I, I mean, yes and no. I don't think I should put him at 93 um, because I was just so worried about the, the strikeouts and the velocity and everything. I probably should have actually put him where I put Jack Flaherty of like, look, if you're actually pitching on opening day and the velocity is okay and stuff, like all, all it is is health and you are clearly better than everyone else in this. So I should have been more aggressive on Tyler Malley. I'm not going to take any sort of victory lap that he got hurt. And I'm like, no, I, I miss... I misranked him. Um, that said, like, yeah, there was actually an underlying issue that was shown by that spring training velocity, but there was a better chance than it wasn't. So I don't, I don't like that one for me. Tier 14 was Jose Barrios at the top of it. And uh, maybe I should have been more aggressive or at least understanding like Jose Barrios could could figure something out. You know, he'd been good for so long. And I... Uh, you know, there's some guys here that like haven't really done that and they don't really we don't really expect them to turn uh you know, to turn the corner. Jose Brios had two really bad starts, and maybe actually by then you would have dropped them anyway. But uh but then he didn't make an adjustment. How I'm supposed to I don't know how I'm really supposed to think that the adjustment's gonna be made, but at the same time, maybe I should give more credence that adjustments will be made to these more veteran guys, especially one that isn't like super old and it's not just age. Something to think about there with Jose Barrios. Um, Nick Martinez was a starter, and he was actually looking kind of good, and I'm still yelling at the Padres for not letting him start, but he's doing great in relief, so fine. Seth Lugo's there. Seth Lugo, yeah. Yeah, I kind of dig that one. I think I honestly should be more aggressive on Seth Lugo. Uh, and the injuries what messed him up there, but that seems pretty good to me. Um, Aaron Savali, uh, Ryan Papillo, Brandon Fott, and Clark Schmidt. So Fott was like the stash play at the time because I didn't really know about any others that were just that incredible. And Fott, from my understanding, was like the number one minor league pitcher in the AAA the previous year and had this amazing fastball and just spoke so well to it. And what do you know? Um, and then Ryan Papillo, like, whatever. He's probably starting for the Dodgers. So what the heck, right? And we'll see how that goes. He used to have an 80-grade changeup after all, right? And Clark Schmidt, of course, I didn't really know what that would shape into. He was throwing a lot more sweepers, but then all of a sudden, like, is, is that good or bad? I mean, I'm happy he's gone well, but I, I understand that one. I do want to return to one other, which is my 62 rank of Grayson Rodriguez. And I had originally put him all the way up at 39. And said, so, look, this is the best pitcher um, as, a, as a young arm and you should be getting 39. And then I moved him um, a couple weeks later when he was demoted and it wasn't up. And I put him down to 62. And I really want to make sure I hit on that because that is something I need to be a lot better at where um, that was far too aggressive at 39. Uh, like far, far, far too aggressive. Especially for a, of a young pitcher. Uh, the first year generally just does not. It's not Spencer Strider 2.0. Okay. Um, that's just not what happens. So I should have likely had him eat. Let's say he was even just starting out in the majors, probably around 50 or so, because yeah, 50 is where the cutoff is. Maybe like 46 underneath Dustin May or 47, not 39, not above like Pablo Lopez, right? I can't be doing that. I can recognize like, and I, I look at this still and I'm actually like, yeah, this is, when, you know, my mentality of how to rank guys after like 50 or so is really identify where the cliff is and where the cliff is here. There's maybe like four guys I feel like I really, truly missed on, you know, maybe Nathan Evaldi, as I said, I didn't feel like I was aggressive enough there. Sonny Gray, honestly, I don't feel like I was that wrong on Hunter Brown. I should have been a little bit more aggressive on. Um, 
But uh, I mean, and Zach Eflin, as I mentioned, absolutely that one. And Justin Steele. And those are the only ones, I think, from this top 50 that I did not really look at what they had and should have been like, yeah, that is, I should have really done that one different. I see how they had their success and I see where my fault was in how I ranked them um, for that success. But otherwise, I mean, I feel pretty good about this. Oh, Marcus Stroman as well. I think I should have. I mean, yeah, this is also, um, you know, it is coming from a bias of like, this was successful, thus uh, I was wrong. But uh, everything else kind of fell in. It's like, why did they? I'm like, okay, I see how that was. And maybe I should have adjusted because of that, right? So anyway, I hope that you enjoyed that practice. I hope you listen on double speed. (laughs) Uh, But thanks a lot for for sitting through that and really enjoying it. And uh, but that is it. I mean, much shorter the next couple of days because, you know, I really wanted to to replace the OTC that's not coming out tonight. We're going to skip it this week. So this is really that for you. Uh, But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock. May your balance be low and your strength outside.